Joyce Carol Oates's writing is close to witchcraft, which is a really interesting way to describe a Marilyn Monroe fictional biography that it's like witchcraft. And she unravels yes. the story of a mythical. I have that blonde. quote on the back of my copy too. Really? Yeah. And it's, yes. And I keep hearing yes. this. And I, that caught my eye. Yeah. And GQ mag magazine says it's a mythic blowout. And even Playboy weighed in and said, an imagining of hellish battles that Monroe fought with herself. Like, but it's all about her myth. So I found that that was an interesting, okay, how yes. is this film going to really capture this? Joyce Carol Oates' fictional retelling of Monroe's trauma through right. childhood and her mom. And right. That old black magic has me in its spell. That old black magic that reads away. Those eyes, they fingers are fast down my spine. The same old witchcraft when your eyes need mine. Hi, Ivory Tower Boiler Room community. This is Andrew. I'm here with a former guest of ours. I'm so happy she's back. Elizabeth Winder. Hi, Elizabeth. Hi. So uh, I call her the eminent Marilyn Monroe scholar since she wrote Marilyn in Manhattan, <laughs> her year of joy. But like when it came to needing someone to dissect Blonde, which just came out on Netflix um, and is based on Joyce Carol Oates's novel from 2002, I um or 2000 I think I was yeah just I knew who I had to call which is Elizabeth I'm like okay we need to dissect this we need to watch it like right before we do this recording and we did and we have not we've messaged each other via text so we might be grabbing I'll grab my phone to just see what was pro being processed as we were watching and going back and forth but yeah we haven't really discussed at all our visceral raw reaction. So like this is you all here are hearing it for the first time. So maybe Elizabeth, I'm just going to start with our preconceived notion. So, right. You know, that blonde is coming out. It took a little while for it to come out on Netflix. There was like some yes. controversy over its rating. Then it finally got an NC 17 rating, which is the first time on Netflix. So right. It, right. there was there already was that whole thing. Yeah. So, right. There was already right. this publicity happening yeah. with controversy. So, like, what did you think, OK, this film is going to do with Marilyn Monroe? You know, I I had I really had no idea what it was going to do. But I can the feeling that I that I felt when this was um, coming out was this was a feeling of sort of like apprehension. Not that's not to say it was just it was an all negative feeling that that's not the case at all. But it was kind of a like a nervousness because when it's Marilyn Monroe in general, you really don't know what people are going to give you, what they're going to try to focus on. It could be that highly stylized, glamorous cliche of Marilyn that, that, that the layman sort the Marilyn that, that, the, that the average person for, do you know what I mean? Knows, or it could be something else. It could, it could, it could be, I was also, because, you know, it's based on the, 
the, um, I guess let's call it a fictional biography. You know, that's sort yes. of what I call Blonde. Um, and I first read Blonde when I when it came out in the year 2000, which was a long time ago at this point. And um, I, but I do, you know, that, that, that novel, which I actually love, focuses so much on the tra trauma, you know, mm -hmm. Marilyn's trauma. And that's, I was, and I think I was sort of, apprehensive to just to, to see to see that and to see what the director and what the actors would do with that um so I mean I was also interested in it but I was nervous yeah well and I'm so glad you started there with this fictional biography I also think it's so interesting to me um Jean Mar Maru who like reviewed Blonde said yes. that Joyce Carol Oates's writing is close to witchcraft, which is a really interesting way to describe a Marilyn Monroe fictional biography, that it's like witchcraft. And she unravels yes. the story of a mythical I have that blonde. quote on the back of my copy too. Really? Yeah. And it's, yes. and I keep hearing yes. this. And I that caught my eye. Yeah. And GQ mag magazine says it's a mythic blowout. And even Playboy weighed in and said, an imagining of hellish battles that Monroe fought with herself. Like, but it's all about her myth. So I found that that was an interesting, okay, how yes. is this film going to really capture this Joyce Carol Oates' fictional retelling of Monroe's trauma through right. childhood and her mom? And right. um, yeah, I mean, maybe just for the audience out there who hasn't read Blonde, we'll just, I'll read the back synopsis for you all out there just so it's in their minds and then we'll just use that right. to launch into the beginning of the film but um okay so in her most ambitious work to date Joyce Carol Oates boldly reimagines the inner poetic and spiritual life of Norma Jean Baker the child the woman the faded celebrity and idolized blonde the world came to know as Marilyn Monroe in a voice startlingly intimate and rich Norma Jean tells her own story of an emblematic American artist, intensely conflicted and driven, who had lost her way. A powerful portrait of Hollywood's myth and an extraordinary woman's heartbreaking reality, Blonde is a sweeping epic that pays tribute to the elusive magic and devastation behind the creation of the great 20th century American star. Okay, so again, the word myth <laughs> has been brought up so many times, and like even Hollywood spectacle. So, okay. Yeah. Um, so I haven't read the book in full. Elizabeth has. So like, definitely, I want you to weigh in if there's moments when we're talking about the film that resonate with how Joris Carl Oates presents it in her narrative. But, well, first, do you feel that the film did a uh, realistic representation of the novel? Like, is yes. the film pretty accurate? Yes, I think okay. so. Now, I I haven't had the time to reread the whole book recently, but I was paging, leaping through it again and familiarizing myself with it. And I absolutely think for the most part that, um, that the film really captured at least what I took away from the book. And um, the thing, you know, what I generally tend to focus on is sort of tone and, and a general like feeling and with... And with that, the, the the film really knocked it out of the park, I think. Um, do do yes. you know what I mean? I, I feel we, like the film, yeah, I'll start with the, my cards on the table with the strengths yeah. right away. I thought the score was 
so bewitching. Like, talk about witchcraft. I thought that oh my the, God. the score, the music is just really devastatingly beautiful in all of its nuances. Yes. Even how yes. they incorporate Marilyn's songs to fit the themes. Yes. Right. Um, it's an, it's so, done in a very creative, unusual way. You know, nothing about it is yeah. is obvious, really. Yeah. And I think that definitely this is one of the most psychological movies I've seen in a very long time. Um, there's definitely a lot of innovative cinematography, like from even when a wardrobe is open and your point of view as the viewer is from the wardrobe and it like being yes. slammed and you can see the Norma Jean's mom's verbal abuse. And it's like coming from the wardrobes. Yes. Like we're not actually seeing yes. it faced it. We're not seeing it from their perspective. Right, right. And I thought that was really interesting. All of the those. That was incredible. Yeah. And, and that, yeah. that, that went on throughout the duration of the whole film. And, and I loved that. And I really appreciated that. And you know, I think this didn't occur to me until you said it, but I think that you're right. It's the, the cinematography and the inventiveness on that level I haven't, it's kind of sad, but I haven't seen that in a long time yes. in movies. Do, do you know what I mean? That What I see is the downfall of, of cinema has been, that's a whole different kind of other <laughs> conversation. But it was, it, it was so, one of the things that I loved about this film was that it was so refreshing to see that, you know, because yes. that, that it hasn't, there really haven't been, it hasn't been that sort of thing in quite a while. And, and that was just wonderful. And another thing that the, that that happened along those lines was that shifting from black and white into color. Yes, you're right. That happens a lot of times with um, even the Arthur Miller when she meets Arthur Miller and she's in the actor's yes. studio, and then yes, they're like then they're taken out of that frame into Connecticut. Um, yeah. Another thing, and then it's is, in color. Yeah, then it's in color. Yeah, I um, yeah. Yeah, I would say that, okay, so the music I was blown away by. Uh, first of all, Ana de Armas, I thought, was one of the best Monroes I've seen ever. Agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Agreed. I loved my week with Marilyn. With, um, Me too, me too. Yeah. Michelle Williams. Ma Michelle Williams, thank you. And But again, yeah. um, but that's like such a small slice when she's in The Prince and the Showgirl, right? Right, in England. right. So... Like that's so different than this fictional biopic. Um, yes. But yeah, okay, so the beginning, right? So at the beginning, we start with Norma Jean's mother's mental health deterioration. Yes. And yes, and and like, and yeah. little Norma Jean is maybe seven year or eight. You know, she's a little girl at this point. Yeah. So how did you find how the mother is portrayed at the beginning? I really. I thought that that was incredible. It was, of course, it, it, it was like a lot of things, I think, in this film, it's, parts of it are very difficult to watch, you know, um, be, because of the, just the content. But, you know, it, you, you mentioned that the actress, Anna, Anna Damas, who played um, Marilyn, is fantastic. And, and so I think that Julianne Nicholson, who was cast yeah. as Gladys Baker, was amazing um, in this. The, yes. the film is just really well cast and well acted in general. Um, but I really, really liked that they, they, um, the director's choice to go into detail about Marilyn's childhood and that, that harrowing scene with driving into the fire. Mm -hmm. um, that's actually a scene from 
the Joyce Carol Oates book. And that's one of the, when, it, when I say that the film really captured the book very well, that's one of the scenes that I was thinking of. Um, so that was, I, I thought that that was incredible. And I, and again, like, I think that the, the relationship with, between young Norma Jean and Gladys was done with enough, with, with, with compassion. Yes. So even when Anna de Armas plays Marilyn older, we get all of those nuances of this complex relationship between mom, daughter, and Marilyn trying to put her boundaries up, but still being the caretaker. So I thought that that yes. was, I would say that was the highlight. I would think, I think the mother-daughter relationship was definitely really so nuanced, so well done. Yes, the, yes. Like, and it, it really was together. nuanced. Because, yeah. because I think that with a lot of, um, you know, biographies of Marilyn, you know, interpretations of Marilyn's story, either you get her relationship with Gladys and her childhood sort of um, painted in this grotesque, horrible sort of way, or kind of just dismissed. And this was a very nuanced portrait of it because it, it was terrifying, you know, but, but like I said, it was done with compassion. You, you know, it, we, you didn't, as a viewer, I didn't, you didn't, you don't go away thinking, oh my God, Gladys is a hideous monster. Um, it's not that way at all. Um, so I really, really loved that too. Yeah. Okay. So we have looked at the mother daughter relationship. I have a journal that I kept my notes in and eventually we'll turn to our text. And I do have, um, a few people who've weighed in because this film talk about a divided audience. I looked at the rotten tomato. It's like 49% like. And it's like a polarizing. Yeah. It's so polarizing. I feel yeah. like either people have really um, in have been captivated and loved the portrayal or they are completely against what happened. So right. this might be one of the elements. I think that's definitely the most polarizing, which is. Um, well, actually, before that, there was a quote that the mom says that I really loved. It's in 1933 at the beginning of the film. And I said that it was really goosebump inspiring when the mother says it's California. You can't tell what's real and what's yourself. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I love and, that. Yeah. Yeah. And those scenes with the mom were really, I wrote that they were ominous and frightening because. They absolutely were. Yeah. And like I said, that driving into the fire scene, you know, it's, I, and I really think that, you know, bring, bring up what she said about California it gives you, you know, of course, California and Los Angeles, that's a character too in, in this film. And I think that it's very, very well done and well explored. And, you know, I, that's one of the reasons why I like that the film starts in, in the 1930s, because you get this, this um, earlier depiction mm -hmm. of like the, the sort of outskirts of Hollywood at that point and the fire and, um, you know, it, it gives a history, like that history of Hollywood behind it that I really like. Yeah. And you also see her upbringing, which is working class, very working yes. class, Hollywood. Yes. And even like her neighbors where, and I know that does come from um, her biography with right. the couple who was like going to take her in, but couldn't take her in. So she ends up in the foster care oh, system. Oh God, yeah. And she's just and, dropped off there with a suitcase. Yeah. And it's, it's so devastating. She's like, but I have a mother. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not an, an orphan. orphan. And like, you can, that's something in the film I feel like 
as an audience member, I could always relate to Norma Jean. Like I could always see where she's coming from. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I do think there was a lot of her interior interiority, a lot of her psyche explored. There really was. And that's one of the, that's another reason why I, one of the things that I loved about the film, um, I tend to like that about any sort of film when, when that's, when that interior is explored, if it, if it isn't at all, then I'm not going to be as interested. Um, and there was a lot of that in this, um, in Blonde. Now, that being said, one of the, <laughs> one of the things yeah, that I feel like was a missed opportunity here, given the fact that the, that this film really did go into like um, Marilyn's subject, her interior landscape, really, um, a lot of the time. I wish, I wish that we would have seen the, um, a different side of that interior landscape. And, and specifically, I mean, you know, it, they certainly touch upon the fact that she was very well read, but we yeah. don't, I would like, have liked to see her reading, see her, her think about books in an imaginative way, not just have her quote them to men and have those men not believe her. Do, yeah. you, do you see what I mean? Yeah, like she mentions a lot of Chekhov, especially. Like Chekhov, the three sisters. yes. Yeah, Dostoevsky. But like we have, you're right, we have documented images of her reading Ulysses on set or right. reading right. Song of Myself by reading Leaves of Grass by Whitman in her bed. Whitman. Like these right. are- We have, we her, have her, her entire, yeah. all the books listed in her library. We know right. that she was a reader. She sat yeah. around reading all the time. I, I don't yeah. think there was a single book in the movie. Um, just her true. mentioning them to men and the men not believing her, which I, which absolutely happened. But I feel like an opportunity was missed there in terms of like, I just the enjoyment of seeing Marilyn read and imagine. Yeah, but I, and I, I have to say, I definitely I know that that must have been, um, maybe not the library cataloging of Marilyn that we do have. We have her notes we have like her um marginalia but i also it seems like as a film they did not want um props at all like it, it was a very sparsely oh that's true that's interesting sparse film i like, hadn't yeah. that hadn't occurred to me but you're right that whole setup with the movie premieres like why do you think that we were getting that same stock image of like okay big theater kind of center screen and then usually before the movie would premiere we would have such an intense traumatic moment and then we right. would get the movie right yeah. it, it felt there there was like a stillness to it and it felt like in slow motion and very stylized what i thought about that too and i guess what i was thinking was um it, it, was it a way of sort of in um, how do I say this? Was it a way of saying that that those movie premieres did not feel real to Marilyn? Mm -hmm. Like maybe that didn't feel like her real self. Or do do you know what I'm saying? Like if it oh, and she like breaks she down. Else. You're yes. right. She breaks down at gentlemen prefer blondes, and she oh yes, is like that's yeah. not me. I'm not Marilyn Monroe. Right. And, and she had it the same experience during the premiere of the Seven Year Itch. Actually, similar experience. So. Yeah she really disliked those premieres. In fact, most of the ones that I'm thinking of, there was, she just, for whether it was one thing or the other, she just had a really bad experience at them. 
Yeah. So she's quoted Elizabeth like talking about yes her response to film premieres. Yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Because yeah, what so we're I, really yeah no go ahead sorry. Oh, I I think that so I think that there was kind of like a like maybe a stylistic choice to show sort of the unreality of it for her in a slightly disturbing way maybe. Yeah, and I mean what we're doing right now is a real fact versus fiction, which I think is. Of course, I think some people, I would say the general audience thinks this is fact. And maybe that's why it's so polarizing. Like, because they're like, well, but this isn't the Maryland that we were taught. Or is this actually true? Like, I've already seen so many articles about, is this real in Maryland's life? Especially the the Charlie Chaplin's son. Oh, my. Yes. (laughs) Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And now, a message from the Gay and Lesbian Review. Hello, listeners. This is Stephen Hemrick, the publisher of the GNLR, here with a special offer just for you. For those of you who aren't familiar with the GNLR, let me provide a little background. The GLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies, and a number of special features such as artists' profiles and the popular art memo column. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme and brings together the leading minds on the topic. You won't find a lot about the latest dating fads or fashion trends, though you might find articles about online dating as a social phenomenon or the gay influence on 20th century fashion. For example, the theme of the current issue is Queens and Kings, and it features an article by Andrew Holleran about Truman Capote's relationships with glamorous women, the women he called his swans. Now for the special offer. When you subscribe, you'll receive a free copy with any print or digital subscription. That's seven issues instead of six. Visit GLReview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W dot O-R-G. Click subscribe and enter promo code ITBR for your free issue. And as an added bonus, you'll receive online access to all archive issues of the magazine. Hi, it's Mary from True Crime and Academia. You're like me. You love personalized merch and you love shopping local. So here is one of my favorite local vendors to buy from. It's Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. My friend Mandy makes the most incredible personalized crochet goods and decor for your home. Spooky season is coming up. She has some of the coolest Halloween designs. So go follow her on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Mandy Made It. Again, that's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. And place your order with her today. So that, yeah, that, um, 
the Charlie Chaplin and I have it. Cass, Chaplin, I think it was like Edward Robinson Jr. Robinson Jr. Right. Yeah. They're both juniors. I, I, yeah. I even started looking that up because I was like, wait, yeah. did I miss something? <laughs> you know, um, that yeah. actually was a, was an aspect of this film that I enjoyed. That was yeah. I, I did not think that that I mean, I liked I liked seeing that. Yeah, um, I liked their acting relationship. I will say, yes, there's like a very threesome sexually charged moment that happens. But again, this is where like as a viewer, you really have to parse is Marilyn having control over her sexual body or is she being um, abused by the men around her? And I think like right. clearly there's the casting director at the beginning, which oh, is real. That was, I actually had to turn yeah. it off after that point and then come back to the film because that was, that was that and the JFK scene were the worst, oh. the absolute, yeah. the JFK scene was even worse, I think for me to witness than the casting director, but those were yeah. so, I mean, um, for lack of a, they're very tr triggering to, to watch, you yeah. know, it's well, very hard to watch. Yeah. And my one, uh, my friend who weighed in, her name's Parker. She called this, she was reacting so viscerally um, in the trauma porn ways. There's like <laughs> these trauma porn moments and oh God, yeah, like our actual sexual abuse moments. Right. So like that casting right. director and like we get flashbacks of it when she's talking right. to Joe DiMaggio about right he's like how did you get your start in the oh gosh and then we have to see, see that moment again you know <laughs> yeah with the, so with you... the casting yeah, oh, we, yeah we were talking about the cast the charlie chaplin stuff yeah and, so um, what, like, and, then what... the, and the issue of agency yeah. and her own yeah you know her, her like whether marilyn had agency in that moment and for, for as for my take on it was um that was one of the times where i did see her having control mm -hmm. In in that in that whole relationship, um, threesome type relationship, if you want to call it that, um, I it might not have been the healthiest of relationships in some ways, but it was one that I sort of enjoyed watching because she seemed because all all three of them seemed equals in a way. Mm -hmm. There wasn't one person didn't seem to be taking advantage of another person. There were really playful moments when they were calling themselves the Gemini's on the beach. Um, in this, this, and I don't know if it, if this was if the sex the sex scenes between you know the three of them were one of the reasons why this movie was rated NC seventeen. But those those scenes did not bother me at all. Um, they were not hard to watch or. Uh, anything like that I said and also I love the actor uh, Xavier Samuel I thought he he oh. was fascinated which one watch. was he he played Cass Chaplin oh yeah he was very good he's yeah. he's a, well, he's just a and, great actor and she was friends like she knew Charlie Chaplin Jr or, they, and like, they dated briefly crowd. oh they dated uh, briefly okay yeah very very briefly it might it probably wasn't even a big thing but they dated and they remained friendly afterwards um and she and she knew Ed Robinson so and I thought this is the type of that's the type of thing um and of course the Joyce Carol Oates book that you know that, that this uh the way that it comes across in the film is very faithful to the book in a lot of ways and that's why I think that the, the whole genre of fictional biography is very appealing as a writer to I I'm like I want to write something like this someday because you get to speculate and come up with your own sort of 
you know, things. And I think that that's really interesting, of course, but many people and you see online, this didn't really happen, you know? So there's a lot of people who are, it's, it's can't really parse out the difference between the biography and the fictional biography, but that's a whole different yeah. thing. <laughs> yeah. But I do think like, there's this moment I wrote, um, about every baby needs a daddy is one of Marilyn's songs. Yes. But like, this is a constant theme of like her calling oh. men daddy, which yes. I was even like, did she have a Oedipal comp, like a Electra Freudian complex about calling men daddy because she didn't have a father that she knew, right? But this is something we're supposed to psychoanalyze with her. Right. And it almost plays into this, like, the sugar daddy. I don't know. I was really having I, a hard time understanding this moment in the film. Do you do you feel like that um, the whole daddy thing sort of was distracting in a way because for for those reasons because it it, it yeah. can't help but invite very very blatant psychoanalysis and it's and it was really I I sort of think that the whole father complex the daddy complex the Oedipal thing is a kind of easy trope to fall back upon. Yeah. And Joyce Carol Oates and this, this director, they're not the first ones to do it with Marilyn. Um, it's, it's very, I think it's obvious. I think it's a little bit lazy. And I think it's, yeah. worst of all, it's distracting because it kind of takes away from everything else. So that's yeah. one thing I could have done without a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, and... Parker weighed in about, well, first she reacted the same way to what you viscerally reacted to with that triggering moment with the um, producer, Elizabeth. Yes. She said, uh, Marilyn deserved more than that. Very disappointed with the blithering mess they made her out to be in the weird baby scene. I am beyond. Oh, the baby okay. stuff. The, the, the baby scene. Oh, my God. And then when that... I thought the, the fetus stuff was over, it happened again. <laughs> and then we've got a talking fetus. And it just I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I do have to say that has probably polarized the viewer the most is I the abortion scenes. And, right. But I do have to say, I do know, like, I do remember reading that Marilyn had very conflicting feelings about children and like there yeah. was a miscarriage, like there was loss of oh, children. She, she definitely yeah. had miscarriages. And you, um, you have to remember, she had a pretty severe case of endometriosis. So that oh. was her health issues were really wrapped up in, you know, her miscarriages, whether she wanted to have children, the mental health issues. Yeah. But I, I think and I and I couldn't help but think, oh, God, I don't want it that the talking fetus thing was just it, it felt disturbing it felt campy almost and then it felt kind of do we really need in, in 2022 to have with everything that's going on with with um you know women's health yeah, that's what a film critic wrote they're like this is feeding into anti-abortion narrative right with the talking baby i mean again though i think i'm not going to defend the talking fetus but i do think <laughs> i will say i thought that like the first time her um abortion in this film the fictional account happens having the baby found in a drawer in the fire like really recalls the opening with her manic mother yes. in the fire so like i thought that worked actually really it well. did yes 
Now, when it got to like the baby talking at the end, floating around in the embryonic yes. fluid. Well, then but I have a lot of feelings baby with the Arthur Miller. That was that was the yeah. just. Oh. But I have a lot of feelings with I would say the last twenty minutes of the film. I felt like we were getting a completely different film. Like I love. I have to say, I was so drawn and loving the first hour and a half. Like I would say, oh me too. Right until. Like right until she's with Arthur Miller um, and who's the friend that she meets through Arthur Miller in Connecticut. Cause you write about this relationship. Oh, you, you mean the couple, the Ross, the couple. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering if they were, if, if those, if the couple that came to visit them and is that when um, Arthur's saying, Marilyn, why aren't you coming to the beach with us? And then she has yes. the miscarriage. I think that that was probably Norman Roston and his wife Hedda. But again, and this is where I kind of feel like missed opportunity. Yeah. Marilyn befriended Norman Roston and had a Roston on her own. And, and and another thing that I feel like we didn't get were Marilyn's friendships. It, this yes. she was not she I mean, it couldn't be further from the truth. She felt so comfortable with Norman Roston. She called him Claude. She was felt very accepted by him. She knew that Norman Rostin appreciated her as an intellectual equal. She was not terrified of them, of the Rostins. Um, So that was an issue. But do you kind of feel like up until the Arthur Miller point, that after the Arthur Miller point, we sort of got a slightly different film? I do. I actually have to say, I think the Joe DiMaggio aspect was probably the best representation of Joe DiMaggio and Monroe. I think so too. Of like, the controlling issue he had, especially when she has that Lexington Avenue, 52nd Street, yes. subway great moment with the publicity for seven year itch. And then like his actual anger towards her. I mean, now that abusive moment, the rage, like you that could really, true. Yes. yeah, that's true. And it's also, you could tell he did not want her as a woman to outshine his, you know, his stardom in baseball. Right. And all of and, that was very true because, you know, yeah. um, there was an age difference there. And, um, you know, as a, uh, Joe DiMaggio had, had recently retired at that point. So he was kind of, he and Marilyn Starr was rising. And I feel like he was very uncomfortable with that. And, and at the same time, I think it was a great interpretation. And, and again, like yeah. perfect casting there, you know? Yeah, he was Bobby kind of- Cavanelli. Yeah, yeah. He's from he was Broadway. Great. Yeah, he's he's wonderful. he's fantastic. And I think that he also communicated and I maybe this is controversial controversial for me to say, but with someone who did who I do think that he loved Marilyn and cared about her in his own messed up way and I think that that came through as well. He yes. um so it, again it was a, a nuanced sort yeah. of portrayal. Well, so maybe Elizabeth, you can explain to me. We constantly keep seeing her handlers, and one of them is like a healer, or is the one to calm her down. And oh, he's Whitey, like... the makeup guy. Okay, the makeup, the makeup artist. artist. Yes, who is? Yes. Yeah, I was trying to figure out who that was. I oh gosh, I wish I could remember his his last name. I was running around looking for my Maryland biographies, but then I realized that I had them at my parents' house. I forget his last name, but he was with her for for the. The duration of her career. Yeah, I liked and his relationship with her. I loved her. Re- I think that that was one of the, could have been the only relationship that we saw that was one of Marilyn's good friendships. You yeah. know, the, the yeah. rest of the relationships were just kind of abusive relationships. But here we saw a very accurate and very yeah. warm um, 
representation of her friendship with him. And was he gay, Elizabeth? Yes. Okay. Well, be, I, I say so. that because what I feel like was a missed opportunity, which is how I always feel with Marilyn's narrative, except in Elizabeth's biography, uh, but is her progressive views. Like, again, yes, why are we not again. getting that she was on the McCarthy list and like right. part of this witch I, hunt? I was shocked we didn't get any of that, especially no. that would have been a real opportunity to go into it, especially with the Arthur Miller stuff, you yes. know, but but there was nothing. And Again, I, thought, I feel I like something? Arthur Miller, I feel like they kind of stopped writing. I don't because I'm I'm assuming with Joris Carol Oates, she digs deep into the Arthur Miller. She does. Dynamic. She really, yes. she really does. And I Whereas actually think film, that she's kind of accurate there. Yeah. And what I'm like, what's think? happening? I'm like, where? Because that to me wasn't really the dynamic with Arthur Miller. Like there's so much more. There's so happened. much more there. And I think that one of the things that the film did, in my opinion, was you sort of have in the film her um, the whole thing was handled pretty quickly yes. and you sort of see you get the feeling that their relationship ended because Marilyn kind of detached from him in terms of like you know pills alcohol and just kind of going deeper and deeper into her own darkness and that really wasn't the case I think that it was much more complicated than that and he really she felt very betrayed by him yeah um there's a tendency, certainly not just with this film, but in general, to sort of portray Arthur Miller as like the good guy, you know. And I don't, I don't really hold that to be entirely true. Um, no, but I do have to say, when he did question her about, well, how do you know this about my play? How do you know Chekhov? How do you know this character in Three? That Sisters? was interesting, wasn't that it? That felt very, that felt very realistic from conversations I've had with my friend who's a Miller scholar. And she got to interview him that like, oh when my it gosh, came, really? Yeah. Wow. Like in the nineties in Connecticut, in his country house. Well, oh, wow. in the house. Yeah. The Roxbury. Where, Roxbury yes, house. Yes. Um, but, and I said, like, did you get into Marilyn? But I know apparently he was so, so um, uncomfortable with questions about Marilyn. Definitely. Yeah. I and that's understandable. Understand. I think. Yes. Yeah. But I will say from everything like my I love that scene that you're talking about, by the way. Yes, yes, yes. He he seems so intense. And I I really like that. And it seems realistic in that relationship because from what I've heard, like he liked her raw intellect, but didn't really want her to be an intellect. Like he didn't want her to claim her knowledge, but kind of just like be a Venus. Like, yes, oh, I, I yes. know Joyce Dievsky. Oh, I know James Joyce. But it's right. like you said, we don't actually get the material. We don't see her absorbing. Right. right. And, and it was almost kind of like she was this, Um, we don't see, that's why I kind of wanted to see her reading. And I think yes. you're really right when you talk about Arthur Miller loving her raw intellect. He absolutely appreciated her for so much more than her charm and her physical looks. But it was almost like he, he it was, he wanted her like this sort of angelic child who just kind of happened to know these things yeah. rather than a, someone who creates actually in yeah. her own right. Well, and I will say though, there is that moment where she feels betrayed because she's been having this intimate conversation about what it means for him to be a writer. And he's borrowed word for word. Yes. Their dialogue. Their dialogue. And she's she like, sees it typed she, up. yes, yes. And she's like, well, writers always, I don't trust them because they take from my 
conversations. And he's like, I would never do that to you. And again, she's- And then there we see she's, it. Yes, and she's his muse. That to me yes. is what's, like she is Beatrice. She is, yeah. Um, you know, the Greek goddess who just is the inspiration. And I do think, I think it's all there in the film. It is. It's because really we there. see him obsessing over Magda in the beginning. That's their yes. first glimpse of him. He's he almost seems like a crazy man. You know, he's like Magda, Magda, the Magda's Marilyn. It's like he's always a man who needs a muse. Yeah. So like Magda is his character. I and I think that and he has a picture of a woman with Magda written on yeah. it in, from the 1930s. And he and remember in the conversation he says, "Oh, Magda would be 55 today." So I got I got the feeling that Magda was based on a woman in his real life. Oh, in his real life. Okay. And that, but he was married, I, wasn't he, before yes. Marilyn? He oh to yes, Esther. Yes. He he mentions a woman named Esther. He does, but I actually can't remember if that Esther was the name of his wife before Marilyn. I forget. Let me see. I'm gonna look it up. I think <laughs> okay, we have oh. Mary Grace Slattery is before Marilyn. Yes, that's right. That's okay. right. And they were, and he was still married when he got together with Marilyn. Oh, okay. Not that and that's then, a big of a deal, but no, no but um, <laughs> and then he does marry after Marilyn. Oh, um, that's right. He does a um, photographer, right? Uh, yeah, he marries Inga. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of the opposite 19... of Marilyn. Yeah, 1956, he leaves Mary Slattery and weds Marilyn Monroe. Right. Yeah. But, um, well, and also another aspect that's never shown is that Marilyn actually converts to Judaism because of that's our- That's right. I had forgotten about that. Yeah. And because of the religion. She was like actually very connected to Jewish culture. She, she was. She was. Oh. And she was very interested in it. With the Strasburgs too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and we course, don't see that's something we, yeah. we don't where see, are the Straussbergs? We don't get the Strasbergs and we don't get Milton Green. And those oh, are, that upsets me. And that is you know, obviously that really upsets me. That's what yeah. almost my entire book was about, those relationships. Of, of course it was about more than that, but um you know, you get these images of her at the actor's studio, but we mm -hmm. don't but that almost seemed almost seemed in this in the context of this of the film blonde as a way to insert arthur miller yeah you know um whereas the reality is Marilyn didn't meet arthur miller really through the actor's studio arthur miller didn't have that yeah. much to do with the actor's studio Marilyn was studying very seriously at the actor's studio and we don't i don't know how much that really comes across in the film yeah well does joyce carol oates talk about milton green in blonde i don't remember i was actually looking through the many pages of the book last night yeah, I did. I it's a long book second? everyone it is, is it's a and madness. of course when i when i when i originally read the book i had no idea who milton green was so i didn't remember but i don't think that she mentions him i could be mm. wrong about that yeah I, you so, know i i will never stop being upset about how i maryland writers tend to just gloss over that whole relationship because I really I still think that Milton Green was the love of Marilyn's life <laughs> and yeah and well and just for so everyone out there well they need to listen to Elizabeth your interview with us on Marilyn in Manhattan <laughs> with um is it 1954 1955 although the book starts in 54 and ends in 56 okay so yeah right at the end of 54 to 56 that's like the Manhattan 
years. But so Milton Green again is who, just for everyone out there, Elizabeth? Milton Green was a very good friend of Marilyn's. And he actually, in 1955, they he helped her start her own production company, Marilyn Monroe Productions. Oh, and we don't get that. She completely humiliated Fox Studios and Daryl Zanuck by just fleeing Hollywood, starting her own production company, breaking the contract. And it was very clear that she was not afraid of them. We don't yeah, why get do you any think, of that. So why do you think, like, as a viewer, we should be seeing Marilyn Monroe's production company? That, Absolutely. That's the narrative that's not out there in other films. Like, right. Why and, it's you, a, and it's an yeah. interesting narrative to tell, not just it's, it's, it's incredibly important, but it's also full of drama and um, it's it's very compelling. I mean, fr from the very beginning, she and Milton Green have to sneak out of LA in the middle of oh, the yeah. night. Yes. Under, and under, that's like, where your biography like begins. No wig, you know? I love that's, your, <laughs> yes. I love when you do that in your biography. Like Elizabeth has such <laughs> evocative language at the start of her biography. But again, instead we get what I will, I'll go there, which is the pill popping, I don't know what's happening with the JFK hotel scene. Oh, that was God. That so was... upsetting and she can't even walk. I'm like, I had to, I was honestly like kind of watching out of the half looking, my eyes were almost averted because that was so difficult to, for me to watch. Oh so, God. yeah. So why do you think they show this with JFK and you know, her, the sex scene with him? But instead, oh, we don't God. get her actual production company. Like, right, right. I know. And, you know, this is the whole reason why I wrote my book, Marilyn Manhattan, yes. in the first place. It's because every time, almost every time, someone, 80% of the time, Marilyn Monroe, they, the first thing that they say, so is it true that she slept with JFK? And I'm thinking out of all of the things that you're, you could ask about this. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's very so frustrating. It's just this like, and I was actually scared that there was like she was going to be brought to the hotel room, and his brother was going to be there too. I'm like, oh, oh God. please I, don't it, do it this. Been, it could have been even worse, right? I know. Do you think it's because of that uh, trauma porn type narrative? Like the public, they think the public is going to really eat it up. Because I don't think the public is eating th those elements up from what I've seen. I, in three I years. think if the public's eating that up, I think it's sick. Now, I, I mean, I'm somebody who, who who watches some pretty dark stuff. Yet yeah. somehow that, and, and it was the JFK scene that was actually the worst for me. I could not, I, I, I couldn't even do it. You know, I, I think that it's, there's probably an element of trauma porn. And then I think that, that, that even bigger than that, somehow people, the public is just fascinated with JFK and Marilyn Monroe, the idea of them together. To me, that is the least interesting thing about her life and, and, and yeah. about the whole, the whole Marilyn mythology even. I, so, so what? So, so what? She slept with the president. Who cares? But Elizabeth, tell us more about this JFK and Marilyn hot take. Why do you think the public is so infatuated with this narrative? Why does the film continue to perpetuate this? And what are your hot takes? Well, Elizabeth does not hold back because there's another 30-minute discussion that I just didn't have time to put here because it's on our Patreon. We talk about why is the film NC-17? We get into topics around nudity. We get topics around 
the uh, threesome that happens in the film. There's so much more that I just didn't have time to put here. So to listen to the full, full conversation, I know I just said full twice, but there's so much to it. Head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash ivory tower boiler room. Join for $5 a month and you get this 30-minute discussion as a bonus audio. You get access to the Gregory Maguire Wicked movie musical news. Gregory Maguire has updates about the Wicked movie musical that are here, here at the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. Mary DePippi has her True Crime and Academia bonus episode. There's at least four of them, including the Charles Lindbergh baby cat kidnapping. Uh... Jambade Ramsey's hold case. Um, and she just released one yesterday. So please head there. Also, every episode has a video episode. Watch all of our videos, including the blonde episode in its entirety. So less than a cup of iced coffee, less than a nice cappuccino. There's so many coffee shops on Long Island that I frequent. You all out there know which ones they are. I post them on my Instagram, where I also post some uh, gay thirst traps, but that's a different story. Um, you could follow me on Instagram, though, at Andrew David Rimby. While you're at it, why don't you follow our Instagram, at Ivory Tower Boiler Room, to see our amazing video teasers. Also, TikTok has some really great videos, at Ivory Tower Boiler Room, um, including, I'm going to post... Uh, some where I'm singing because we have some more Broadway musical episodes coming. Yes, I post some thirsty videos there. We have excellent video teasers done by our, amaz our amazing interns. I want to shout them out. Andrea, Chris, also on the intern team is Taj and Rosie. Thank you to Kim, our Ivory Tower Boiler Room film audio editor, Thank you to Mary, our chief contributor. She also does all things true crime and academia and hosts that show. And yes, I'm Andrew Rimby, the director and the host of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room. On that note, everyone, have a great fall. And whew, was this an uncensored episode or what? Hey, do you want us to do you want me to do more of these film analyses, more of these dissections of what's going on in pop culture with film? I'd love to bring on a previous guest. So let me know. Reach out to me in the comments. Okay. Bye, everyone. And every time your lips meet mine, darling, down and down I go, round and round I go, in a spin. Love and that's pain I'm a